verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Every year when I put up my Christmas tree, I watch the movie New in Town. The movie stars Renee Zellweger as a career-driven executive from Miami named Lucy. And Lucy gets sent to a small town in Minnesota in the middle of winter to restructure a food manufacturing plant. Lucy is greeted in the small town of New Ulm by her assistant, a middle-aged Minnesotan mom named Blanche. And as they drive to Lucy's new home in New Ulm, Blanche immediately pulls out a scrapbook and starts showing a rather incredulous Lucy pictures of Blanche's dead cat and their mailman named Merle, and peppers Lucy with questions about her personal life. Then Blanche asks Lucy what she admits to be a rather personal question. Have you found Jesus? Lucy, rather taken aback by this personal question, quips with a laugh, well, I didn't know he was missing. (laughs) Blanche does not laugh. It was just a joke, says Lucy. Blanche still doesn't laugh. Normally, we don't joke about Jesus around here. But I can see how you'd think that was sort of funny. Imagine Jesus gone missing. Imagine. Well, friends, imagine no more. Mary and Joseph have lost Jesus. Now, a lot of people make a big deal about this. Parents around the world read this passage and think to themselves, I would never leave a place without making quite sure that my child was with me. But if the McAllisters can leave Kevin home alone in New York City, then it is even more possible for Mary and Joseph to leave Jesus behind in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem, during Passover, is a place of total chaos. 
Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph went up to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover every year. They were good, faithful Jews in this sense. And they are not the only good, faithful Jews making this trip every year. At the time this story takes place, it's estimated that the population of those living in the city of Jerusalem was 80 to 100,000 people. During Passover, however, it is estimated that the number of those present in the city to celebrate Passover was close to 3 million people. That is a 3,000% increase in population. That is a lot of people. Luke also tells us that Mary and Joseph and Jesus weren't traveling on their own. They were with relatives and friends, a whole group of people. Mary has other children by this point, younger than Jesus, that she is likely herding along the road. And so it's not unreasonable to think that Mary thought Jesus was with his cousins under the watchful eye of Aunt Sarah. After all, he must have started out on the trip with them. Jesus was a good, obedient, oldest child. Jesus wouldn't just stay behind. But this is exactly what Jesus did. And only at the end of the day, when they are setting up camp and settling in for the night, do Mary and Joseph realize that their 12-year-old son is not with them. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, But I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us could admit that this is something we could do. We are paying attention to a million different things. We're thinking about where we're going. We're going over a conversation we had earlier in the day and thinking about what we probably could have said differently. We're trying to keep our coffee from spilling and we walk out of the store or church or the beach and we have left a kid behind. But what I want to get into this morning isn't so much our commonality with Mary when it comes to losing a kid. It's our commonality with Mary when it comes to losing Jesus. I wonder this morning, if someone asked us the question, have you found Jesus? How many of us could honestly answer Yes. Sure, we know about Jesus. We have asked Jesus into our hearts. We try to follow Jesus' teaching. We believe in Jesus. In this sense, we have found Jesus. But what if I ask the question differently? What if I ask it in the negative? What if I said, is Jesus missing from your life? I wonder if, for many of us, that would be a more challenging and perhaps convicting question. Do we find ourselves like Mary, caught up in the busy ordinariness of life, getting from one place to another, responding to the needs of the people in our lives, thinking about whatever is next on our to-do list, finally flopping down on the couch at the end of the day, seeking a restorative dopamine hit by scrolling through Instagram or playing a game on our phone while we watch reruns of our favorite TV show, only to realize after a while 
that Jesus is absent from our lives, that we feel spiritually dry, that our relationship with God has been reduced to a few lines from a hurried morning devotional and an hour of worship on Sunday mornings? Does Jesus feel absent from our lives? The Catholic priest and author Ronald Rollheiser writes in his book, The Holy Longing, The Search for a Christian Spirituality. Today, he says, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. We are on the go all day long, and then when we're not on the go, we're on our phones. A 2015 survey by Microsoft found that 77% of young people answered yes when asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. That number is surely higher today. Our lives are full full of obligations, full of distractions, full of noise, and even when we have a minute of quiet in our day, we grab our phones to keep our minds from being still. And yet stillness is often where Jesus shows up. It's in silence and solitude where we can best hear the voice of God speaking into our lives. It's when we take the time to ponder, to reflect, and to contemplate that we begin to see signs of God's revelation in our lives. When Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple, they are understandably annoyed. The English translation in the NIV softens their emotions a bit with Mary telling Jesus that they had been anxiously searching for him. <clears throat> the Greek adjective is more closely translated torturous, causing anguish and intense pain. Mary and Joseph are beside themselves. It has been three days after all. And Jesus simply says to them, why have you been searching? I've been right where I am supposed to be, where you should have known that I would be in my father's house. 
And Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph did not understand this. But then Luke says something interesting. He tells us that Mary treasured these things in her heart. Now this is a callback to verse 19 in this chapter when the shepherds show up at the stable to worship Mary's newborn son. Then, too, Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And I love how Chelsea Harmon, another pastor in the CRC, interprets this treasuring. Because Mary, writes Harmon, is just an ordinary mom. She goes about the business of raising Jesus just like she would raise any of her children. She isn't raising him to be the Messiah. She doesn't really understand what it means that he is the Messiah, Luke tells us. But there are these moments that disrupt her ordinary life. These moments when shepherds arrive and worship her child. Moments when that child sits amongst rabbis and teachers, amazing them with his knowledge and insight. These moments, says Harmon, are reminders that amidst the ordinariness of life, Jesus is something more than an ordinary child. These moments are signs for Mary that when she said yes to the angel Gabriel, she was saying yes to something that was actually true. And so, writes Harmon, Mary's story captures the human faith condition quite well. We are so into the ordinary business of living that every once in a while we get awakened sometimes a little harshly, by reminders that the story of God is always at work, that God is keeping his promises whether we acknowledge it or not. Whereas Jesus grows in wisdom and favor, Mary grows in faith. Mary pays attention pondering things, treasuring things in her heart, spending time with these events, with these signs. The preacher Caroline Lewis says, Mary invites us into a contemplative space, a space that is not so as to obtain answers, but a space to ponder God's place in and purpose for our lives. Mary summons us to sit and wonder. In these moments she treasures in her hearts, Mary is reminded of her identity, of her calling, and God's faithfulness to her in that calling. So friends, the question for us today is whether we will heed Mary's invitation. Will we take the time to sit and wonder Will we interrupt our busy, ordinary lives, interrupt the noise and the chaos, and find moments of silence and solitude where we can be still? Where we can quiet ourselves enough to hear the voice of God, can soften our gaze enough so we see how God has been present to us, can unburden our heart enough to let it be filled with the identity-shaping love of God.
And after all, it isn't just Mary inviting us into this space of silence and wonder and contemplation. It's Jesus. Jesus interrupts the ordinary business of his life to sit and spend time with God. He knows on this day that the most important place for him to be is at the temple, listening to the teachers, asking them questions, answering their questions, growing in the wisdom of God. Jesus takes time to grow in relationship with the Father. And he keeps doing this all throughout his ministry. As soon as he begins his ministry, after just one day on the job, he heads into the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days. He returns, does another day of healing and teaching, and then again retreats into a solitary place. When the disciples grow exhausted after a few weeks on the job of being Jesus' apprentices, Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. The larger the crowds, the more the demand for Jesus' time and miraculous powers, the more Jesus gets away, withdrawing to quiet, solitary places to pray. Jesus needed silence and solitude so he could hear the voice of the Father that voice that reminded Jesus of who he is, reminding him of his mission, reminding him that he is loved. And Jesus says to all of us, you need this too. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus, like the teachers that he sat with on that day when he was 12, Jesus would have been considered a a rabbi by his disciples and followers. And like all rabbis of his day, he had what was called a yoke which was a rabbi's set of teaching on how to be human, on how to shoulder the weight of life. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he is saying, come live as I live. He isn't dumping on us another set of burdens and obligations, but giving us the tools to shoulder the burdens we already carry. And if we discover these tools by looking at how Jesus lived, then one of those tools is rest. Taking the time to be still before God so we can be reminded in the midst of all the chaos and busyness of life, of who God is and who we are and what God has called us into. So what would it look like for you to take some time to sit and contemplate and treasure in your heart the ways in which God is showing up in your life, reminding you of his faithfulness?
If the idea of taking time out of your day to sit in silence is totally overwhelming, you're not alone. And start small. Maybe you wake up just 20 minutes before your kids do and spend just 10 of those minutes journaling. Maybe you don't check social media on Wednesday evenings between 7 and 10. Maybe you go for a walk, and instead of listening to a podcast, you just pay attention to the thoughts in your own head. If you have capacity for more, maybe it's taking a full social media Sabbath on Sundays, maybe even a phone Sabbath. Or increasing your morning solitude from 10 minutes to 20 And if you are looking at me and saying, look, Laura, I spend most of my day on my own already. I don't need more solitude. Then ask yourself, am I being intentional with that solitude? Do I have practices that allow me to hear the voice of God? Or am I busy trying to distract myself from my solitude? John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, writes, So many people live without a sense of God's presence through the day. We talk about his absence as if it's this great question of theodicy. And I get that. I've been through the dark night of the soul. But could it be that, with a few sad exceptions, We are the ones who are absent, not God. We sit around sucked into our phones or TV or to-do lists, oblivious to the God who is around us, with us, in us, and who is even more desirous than we are for relationship. God is even more desirous than we are for relationship. Will we take the time to cultivate that relationship? Will we go looking for Jesus? Would you pray with me? And so God, help us to be silent and still before you. Open our ears that we might hear your voice. Open our eyes that we might see your presence in our lives. Open our hearts that we might receive your love and be reminded that we are your children, you are our Father, and you long to be in relationship with us. May we seek that relationship above all else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.